0: We are in 1 Kings, so turn on your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 8, or look up on the screen, whichever you prefer. We didn't quite finish off 1 Kings chapter 8 last time, so we were going to finish off the few verses that remain, and then go on over into chapter 9. As Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord, 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep, so the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord. For there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings. Because the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings. That time Solomon held a feast, and all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God. Seven days and seven more days, fourteen days, on the eighth day, he sent the people away. And they blessed the king and went to their tents, joyful... Glad of heart for all the good that the Lord had done for His servant David and for His people. I don't know if I gave it to you last time, but the, if you look at Dake's, he gives. Of course, he likes to have dollar amounts for just about everything. He put a dollar amount on sacrifices. He had it now back. This is his day about 50 years ago or so. He had it at ten million dollars, just under, just under that. But uh, you can do the math and kind of figure out what that would be now, because in 50 years, ten million dollars 50 years ago was... It's a whole lot more now. I don't know what it would be, but just to give you an idea of how much he spent on the on that day. It was supposed to be a seven-day fast. It was the normal time for the seven-day fast, or seven-day feast, I'm sorry. It got extended seven days, and then on the eighth day of that seven days, that extended seven days, that's when he sent them home. So they were there 14 days. On the 15th day, he sent them home and said, All right, that's enough for enough. off my stuff. Get on home. <laughs> But he gave all these peace offerings and and so forth. I put in your outline for you the five Old Testament offerings. There's the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. Those are the five offerings that are in the Old Testament. This is particularly talking about the the peace offering. There's quite a bit made on that. And uh, we have these guys over here for you. If you can just pull one of them out and give me... There we go. I can have that one. All right, that's what put all these together for us. I found this. Instead of just sending you to the webpage, I printed these out for you so you can have them. This is uh, running down for you the the five offerings that are in the Old Testament, in case you want to have them. The burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. It will tell you the elements of each one. It will tell you the purpose of each one. It will tell you what God got out of that offering and what the priest portion was. And it's, it's really well done. Um, and the offer, what the person who brought the offering, what they got out of it. So each offering is divided up into three there's God's part, the priest's part, and then the person who brought it. They get a part. Mm-hmm. You can see there for the burnt offering, what's the offerer get? Nothing. Nothing. Grain offering, what's the offer, offering get? Nothing. Nothing. And then the peace offering, they get us. Uh, it's, it's, I guess it's also known as a the Thanksgiving offering. There's a couple of names, fellowship offering I've, I've seen. Thanksgiving offering, all the remainder to be eaten the same day, no leftover allowed. Some of them had to be eaten right there in the, in the, in the uh, court. They couldn't leave the court. So you, the, the offer could get some of it, but they had to eat it right there on the, on the court. That's, that's fun. But anyway, you can take a look at this and, and see. On the peace offering, you'll see that any animal without defect from herd or flock, variety of, uh, of breads. So those are the things that were coming. It wasn't necessarily specified, so you can do all kinds of things, and Solomon did. Uh, it's a voluntary act of worship, thanksgiving, and fellowship. It included a communal meal, included vow offerings, thanksgiving offerings, and free will offerings. So there was a meal with it, so everybody's eaten some of the meal. Because all Israel is, I don't know if everybody's there, but it says, you know, all Israel had gathered together. The fatty portions, uh, fat covering inner parts, fat tail, kidneys, uh, so forth, that all goes to God. God gets the fat. Have you ever heard of. Uh, uh, Jesse, on this one, I love Jesse. He's got, he's he's just fun on on that one. Uh, so if you like the fat part of, uh, of of a meal, you're in God's company. Beast given to the high priest. Uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, the breast was given to the high priest. The wave offering, right, right. Um, far, uh, can't even read read it here. It was given to the uh, officiating priest. It's uh, called a heave offering, and then. Uh, or you went over what the person who brought the offering got. So that's the peace offering. If you want to take a look at the rest of them. So whenever you see a burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, trespass offering, you have an idea what they are. You can go back there and, and take a look at those and and spend some time on it. It has some references. Just have, yeah, it has all the references in there if you want to read them over. But here's Leviticus 3, and verse 1. This is talking about the peace offering. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd without... Uh, Whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice which is on the wood that is on the fire as an offering made by fire a sweet aroma to the lord now this this temple here it's involved with a whole lot of sacrifices and we think of the temple being beautiful and and you know gorgeous and such but just remember there's a whole lot of slaughtering going on outside there's blood all over the place and when you get if you walk into a meat factory where they're doing their own slaughtering I delivered for a company. Went into some of these uh, places like uh, Ilgs Meats over here and some other other ones where they actually kill the thing there, uh, carve it up, and all that sort of stuff. There's a certain smell with all those all those places. Uh, the the beef places, the seafood places you go into, they had you know the the seafoods go in and out of the plastic things that you have to go in and out on. When you got done the day of work, you smelled like the seafood sort of stuff. But then there's also the beef places and the, the they would bring them in and. You'd smell like one of those places if you had too many of them on there. It, it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't, I'm sure you'd get used to it, but it wasn't pleasant. So when you walk onto the campus of this temple, it inside is spotless, but outside is a bloody mess. And I'm sure that they were cleaning it all the time, but they're also sacrificing all the time. So it's a very messy place. It's not a place that you would go to and say, Wow. <laughs> now, if you want something to do something interesting, I didn't spend a whole lot of time on this, but when I was trying to find some of the things that I I printed for you. You would—I was surprised at how many these things came up. There is a whole mess of stuff out there on the internet, and some uh, Christians preachers are, are out there talking about it too. I don't know how much legitimacy. I, I didn't put any time into it. I just felt no draw to do it at all. But there's a whole mess of stuff out there. Uh, Tying the the temple and the new temple that's coming in to groups like the Illuminati, um, I'm trying to think, the uh, uh, Masons. Uh, that a lot of the uh, treasures that were taken from the temple, they say apparently the Masons have, and uh, these were the uh, foundations for movies like um, uh, what was that that one they did with the National Treasure? National Treasure. Yes, that was uh, some of the the basis for for that sort of stuff. Um, I don't know how much truth to it is is there. I didn't really spend a whole lot of time on it, but if you ever want to, you can do that. They were even taking some of the the two towers that we showed in the in the um, front of the temple, and they were showing how many things in the world are twin towers. It's quite interesting. I don't know again if there's any validity to it, but anyway if, if you want to spend some time going up there and do a search on that you can you can take a look at these things um, and see what you you'd want to do with that. But anyway, this is all sacrificed in the middle of the court. Very bloody middle of the court, more so than usual. So it it went in uh, right off the bat there with a bang. You got a lot of blood that goes on the ground. I don't know how much you can do to clean that up. I I don't know what you do to do to do that. The stuff that's in the brass bowls and all that, okay, you can clean that up. But the stuff that's on the ground, what are you gonna do with that? I mean, eventually it does go away. But if every day you're adding more to it, that's for. But it's in the ground. (laughs) Maybe they just take all the old water and dump it on the ground to, to wash it out. Man, yeah, I don't know, but that is uh, that is something. So anyway, we finished up with that. Let's go over to First Kings chapter nine, verse one. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time. So what did he finish doing? Building the house of the Lord and the king's house. Those two together took how long? Twenty years, so he God appears to him the one time and doesn't appear to him for twenty years. Twenty years he has. Uh, now he may be getting words from God from the prophets, things like that. But God does not appear to him. Not that we should be expecting God to appear to us, you know, every couple of years or something like that. But just just understand it was twenty years. But he stayed with what he was told to do until it was finished. When he was finished, what he was told to do, God showed up. And gave him some other instructions. Remember the principle we taught you. From the, it's, it's in the Word. Word teaches us. Until you finish doing what God says to do, why should God tell you anything more? And we see it here with, with Solomon. Because it makes it very clear. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all Solomon desired what he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and supplication that you may be for me. Now, just to refresh your memory on this, this is the prayer that he had. We went over it. It's not a great prayer. Don't put that prayer up in your refrigerator. Don't pray that prayer. That prayer has a lot of issues. But he prayed it. In that prayer, he's praying to God, God, incline our hearts. Whose, whose job is it to incline your heart? Ours. Now, I think he does eventually get that corrected because it's in the Proverbs you know, incline your heart. Well, that's actually what his father said to him, so he's probably just writing down what his dad said. But um, anyway, that's what we're supposed to do. Incl- we got to incline our heart to God. God's not going to do it for us. But he's praying in the prayer before, you know, you incline our heart. You, you help us to, uh, you get us to obey your word. And that's not God's job. God's job is not to incline your heart. God's job is not to get you to obey. Uh, it's your job. You've got to do that. But anyway, that's how he prayed that's what he prayed. Now, look at this. God corrects him in this prayer, but in a very positive way. So just to refresh you on that, if you, if you missed any of that, it's up there on the... Uh, it's posted up there on the internet anyway, if you wanted to, to go over that, or just read the chapter. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he would appeared to Gibeon. I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you made before me. I have consecrated this house, which you have built to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, if you walk before me... Correction. Now, if you walk... I'm not doing this. You need to do it. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you, if you keep my statutes and my judgments... It's not up to me to keep them. It's up to you to keep them. If you keep my statutes and judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you... Or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them and this house which I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? They will answer because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. So he prays it one way and God comes right back and corrects it. Mm -hmm. This is how it is. (laughs) If you do this, I will do this. If you do this, I will do this. Don't put it all off on me, because that's what Solomon was doing in that prayer. He's putting it all off on God. You need to incline our hearts. You need to cause us to obey. (laughs) God's not going to do that. Now, a lot of Christians pray prayers like Solomon did. Oh, Father God, don't let me ever turn away from you. That's not God's responsibility. It's yours. And, and but people will do it. And, and God has put it right here in his word. Here's what the man prayed. Here's what God comes back and says. That's correction right there. God is correcting them. says, you got it wrong. This is how it works. You do this. I do this. You do this. I do this. And what God is basically doing with him is he is renewing the covenant of David. In the same way that he renewed the covenant of Abraham with Isaac and Israel, he renews the covenant with David with Solomon. Now, you're you're the man living here now. David's done. David's dead. He's already gone. He did what he was supposed to do. Now it's up to you. It's in your hands. If you will obey, if you will listen, if you will stay away from the foreign gods, keep worshiping me, then this is what I'm going to do. And each time he says, if you will, he says what he's going to do. And if you will, then this is what, I, now if you don't, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> he, does, he does lay it out there. But uh, God is very much in this. That's why whenever people want to go around, you know, well, well, God's just in control. Whatever God wants to do. And it's not whatever God wants to do. God wanted to bless Israel. God wanted them to stay in the land. God wanted that house to stay there forever. But he knew Israel was going to probably rebel. And the reason he knows that is because the enemy comes to try and pull you down. The enemy comes to try and get you to compromise the word. That's what the enemy wants to do. He's tr- he tries to get Christians to compromise the word. If you compromise the word, if you don't live to what the word says, that he knows God can't do what he's supposed to do. So what he tries to do is he gets out there and he tries to cloud the issue for you. He tries to get out there and he, he has people into... We were, I was doing research as a church... Uh, a pretty decent-sized church in the uh, state of Pennsylvania, somewhere mm-hmm. in, <laughs> in the state of Pennsylvania, and I just was—I didn't know much about this church, and so I thought I'd look it up and find out what it was. Well, it's um, it's a church that uh, has multiple locations, and they broadcast from one, and they do videos and all the other. But I looked at their purpose, and their purpose was to make non-Christians feel comfortable in church. That was their goal. That was their purpose how do you do that? Well, you compromise the word. You don't teach exactly what the word says. You uh, lessen the, the, or you stay away from certain passages and you don't teach the whole word. And we're not, uh, we're not equipping people. And so you have Christians who don't, who don't have a firm foundation, who don't have the whole foundation. This is what the enemy wants to try and do. If we can get you to not know all of the word, if we can get you to be unsure of the word or to be compromised in what the word says, how many times do we hear Christians say, well, I believe. <laughs> well, well, good for you. What's the word say? Well, I know the word says that, but I believe, and, and, and this is what Christians are doing, what God is saying is, here's my word. It's your job to know it your job to keep it. It's your job to, under, to to apply yourself to understand it. I'll give you the understanding, but it's your job to apply yourself to it. You do that and you keep it. This is what I'm going to do. So if the devil wants to get in there and stop us from being blessed, he's got to compromise us. That's the Balaam principle. If you can't curse them, then pull them down. Pull them down to a, to a lower level. So that's what Balaam says to, to Balak. Look, just send the women in there seduce the men, pull them into sin, and you're going to compromise the whole group, and God will be against them. And nearly worked. But God says, if you will, if you will, we need to be doing some stuff. Now, somewhere along, we know the end of the the story, and we know that somewhere along the way, Solomon's heart turns from God. Here's a question for you. He's 20 years into his reign. He reigns about forty years. He's about halfway through his reign. When does his heart turn? When does Solomon's heart turn? Does it start to turn while he's building? Does it start to turn after he's done building? When does it turn? It isn't like one day you just wake up and say, I'm gonna be an idolater. <laughs> that's just not how it goes. It's it's a slow turning process. To where you begin to think, all right, well, uh, we wouldn't let that before. But now, you know, we'll go ahead and we'll let that happen. We'll let that go on. And pretty soon, or we don't just have the wives having the foreign gods. He's uh, attending some of the services with them. And then he's financing some of them. And then he's building temples for, for these other foreign gods. And, but when does his heart turn? Did it turn before this? Because God doesn't say anything about it. But God is real clear on this. He, he does spend a little bit more time on this than you would think. For a person who has just bit spent $10 million, probably up to, I don't know what, a $1 billion on a service for God. And God, right after that, comes to him. How much time does he spend on don't go after other, other idols? Doesn't it seem to be a little bit more time than you would think necessary? Unless his heart had already started to turn. Because how long, how long was it until he got involved with the, the uh, woman from Pharaoh? Daughter from Pharaoh. That was pretty early on. And how many other wives does he have? He had a thousand, a thousand women all together. What was it? 700 wives and, or 300 wives and 700 concubines? Whatever it was. 300 and 700. It came up with a thousand. A thousand women is he going to do that in twenty years, or is it going to be? Has it already started? Because that's a that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. Of, <laughs> that's a lot of processes to go through. I mean, how many weddings you got to plan? I mean, these are not these are not justice of the peace weddings. These are kings' weddings. That takes some time. You got a lot of preparation. You've got a lot of uh, things to get ready for that. So you, get, you can't just uh, throw one of these weddings together in a, in a week. It takes some time. And then, you know, there's got to be a little bit of time after the wedding before you start getting involved in the next wedding. So it does take some time. How, how many can you go through in a year? So if he's got 20 more years to go here, and there's, a, there's 300 weddings, and th- let's say that he's had two or three already. 20 years... 300 weddings. How many is that a, going to be a year? About 15? 15 a year? That's better than one a month. And be, Now mix that in the concubines. I tend to think that his heart started to turn and that the women were piling up before he finished with the house of God. That's just, if just you look at it, the, the time, it just doesn't seem like it works out unless he, he had started earlier. So um, so God shows up to him a second time. And he says, don't do this. Don't go after this stuff. There is nothing more that can turn the heart of a Christian than a person of the opposite sex. God warns about it. David warned about it. Solomon, after he found out it was true, warned about it. Nothing more than they can do that. How many times in the New Testament are we warned about it? Now, it happened at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired. King Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Now, going back to what we had before, they had agreed on on an amount. They agreed on money. Was there any agreement that he would give them cities? So what Solomon is doing is he's, he's saying, boy, we are so appreciative of all that you did. We're going to give you 20 cities from our land. How do you think God looks about that? God gave it to them. This is your land. And he's going to give 20 cities back. This is in the region of Galilee. We can pull our map up on the, on the screen. We have a little map here for you to take a look at. That is uh, the area. If you count those cities up, you don't quite get the 20. So there may have been some other cities that are just not on the map. I don't know. But look at some of the names of the cities that are in this area. We're not, we don't name the 20 cities. I, don't, I couldn't find any place where the 20 cities were named. But look at some of the, the cities that are in the region of Galilee. Nazareth. Anybody remember that one? Bethsaida. Chorazin. Capernaum. There's, a, there's some big-name cities in there. And he gave them away. Huh. I didn't look this up, but when, when was it first prophesied about Nazareth? Was that before Solomon or after? I think David had some prophecies about it, so that would have been put it before, but I should have looked that up. I didn't think about it. Megiddo, if you that's a big fortress that they had built up. Uh, but anyway, he gave these to him, but it was never in the agreement. Talk about giving away the land of Israel, which is under pressure again to do today. This is what he did. He, there was no pressure there. It was just a goodwill offering. Here, here it is. Let's uh, give you some of this stuff. Here some cities for you. So he gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Then Hiram went from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him. You can keep that map up on the screen there just a bit. Uh, from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, but they did not please him. So he said, What kind of cities are these which you have given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Cable, as they are to this day. Then Hiram sent to the king one hundred and twenty talents of gold. Well, that's a, uh, he does, he the, the name Cable means worthless or not to his liking. That's basically what that, what that word is going to mean. But look, at the, if you wonder, what, did, they, did Solomon give him cities that had no value? Well, the cities, you can see where the Syrophoenician area is. If you're going to give him some land, don't you want, think he wants it to be near him? Would he give him land in the southern area of Israel? That wouldn't seem to make sense. Now, they, are, uh, they like to trade on the sea. They're great boaters. Maybe there's just too far inland, and he doesn't like being that far inland. Maybe that's why they were worthless to him. Maybe he just went out there and saw them and they weren't all that great. But if we can go over to Second Chronicles chapter 8, in verse 1, It came to pass at the end of twenty years, in which Solomon had built the house of the Lord and his own house, that the cities which Hiram had given to Solomon, Solomon built them and he settled the children of Israel there. Wait a minute, I thought Solomon gave it to him. Hmm. Well, apparently, Hiram didn't like him and must have given him back. That's what it seems to be, anyway. Hiram didn't like him and, and gave him back to Solomon. And Solomon looked at him and there wasn't a whole lot of good stuff there, but he began to rebuild him. But, and he settled the children of Israel there. So apparently when he gave them to Hiram, there weren't children of Israel there. Which is kind of odd, because isn't there supposed to be a tribe of Israel that has that area? Dana's all the way up in the, the northern area. And, but apparently they weren't doing too well at uh, settling the area. We knew that uh, from the book of Joshua that they hadn't done all that well, but apparently that must have continued. But anyway, he, they get them back and they rebuild them and they make them desirable. But apparently, Hiram and Solomon are still good people, good good friends. They're still on good terms there. And here in verse fourteen, and Hiram sent the king one hundred and twenty talents of gold. I looked up some stuff on this, and some folks said this was a loan before that was being paid back, and. I really don't know what it is. If you don't like the cities that he gave you, why do you give them back a hundred and... Why is... I don't know why that is. Couldn't find out a whole lot on that. And this is the reason for the labor force which King Solomon raised to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Millo, the Wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire, had killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city and had given it as a dowry to his daughter. So when Solomon married the daughter, you know, with the daughter comes a dowry. And so the king of Egypt said, I don't want to give you any of my stuff, so I'm going to go out here and conquer this city, and then we'll give it to you. So Solomon got the city without having to conquer it, and they gave it to him. So he got Gezer, and he rebuilt that. So Solomon built Gezer, Lower Beth Horon, Belath, and Tadmor in the wilderness in the land of Judah. So these are ten things. I wrote them in your outline there. as ten different things. These are ten building projects that he had. These are not small projects. The temple we know was a huge project. His house was a huge project. Then we also had the house for the wives and, and or whatever that house was in the wilderness that he, that he built. We have the wall. David had built a lot of the wall, but there were still some gaps left in the wall. There were still some weak spots in it, and so he shored those things up, and he, he finished the wall of Jerusalem. Uh, Hazor, Megiddo, Gezer. All these places. He built all these. He built these cities. He built them with the money that they had raised with, with David. And then he put people to work. But he raised the labor force. This is why he had a lot of building projects. He was a building king. Uh, verse 19. All the storage cities that Solomon had. Cities for his chariots and cities for his cavalry. So, he doesn't build a barn. He builds a city for his chariots. He builds a city for his cavalry. He builds a city to store stuff. He does not build a U-Haul place. (laughs) U-Haul self-storage. He doesn't rent one of their units. He builds a city. The purpose of that city is to store the king's stuff. (laughs) That's some stuff, right? He he builds a city to store stuff. Why is this city here? Well, we store the king's stuff. (laughs) Why is this city here? Well, the king's chariots are here. we got a whole city... Chariots are parked there. Whenever he needs them, he goes over to his city and gets them. But in order to have a city, you've got to have other stuff going on. So you've got people that have blacksmith business. You've got people that got restaurants. You've got people that have cleaning services. You've got people that have whatever it is. That whole city is going on. Why is this city here? We store the chariots. That's what we do. Why is this city here? Well, we have the cavalry. They stay here. You know, we got the horses. we got the men. We've got to make all their stuff, the need for the horses. But you do remember that the children of Israel were commanded to do something. Don't multiply horses. Don't rely on chariots. Solomon kind of blew that one out of the water. (laughs) We got all kinds of horses. And we got so many chariots, we got cities for them. Hmm. Now understand this. The cities is plural. Cities for his chariots. He may have one city in the south. He may have one city in the north. He may one one city in the east. He may have one city in the west. Because you've got to have the chariots get to where you need them to get to. So he's got them all over the place. He's got cities for his cavalry. I don't know. I would think that the same city that worked for the chariots could double up for the cavalry. I, I, that's just the way I kind of think. But, you know, Solomon is a little extravagant on that. No, 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 no. We need to have one city, over this area, just for the, the chariots and we'll get another city for over here for the cavalry and for their horses and we'll get another city over here for the, the storage and we'll, you know, if one city is taken, we don't want to lose all of our stuff. We want to have all this stuff around. So he built all these cities and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem in Lebanon and all the land of his domain. So there's some small building projects that we didn't even mention. Just in Jerusalem, we had, to, you know, a couple of places that we wanted to build and maybe a little resort area, maybe a water park, you know, a little water park. People can go in there and go in the slides and stuff like that. Whatever it was, whatever he desired to build, he had to have a labor force to be able to do this. So all the people who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, who are not of the children of Israel, that is, their descendants who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely, from these Solomon raised forced labor as it is to this day. Now, I cannot understand this. I don't know about you. But if you cannot wipe them out, how can you put them into a labor force? I, I don't understand that. If I can't, I can't kill you all and wipe you all out like I was supposed to do. Instead, I can only make you do the jobs that I don't want to do and not pay you for it. They made them you know, servants and slaves and so forth like that. Is it possible that they like the idea of a labor force and therefore didn't kill them? I kind of think it's that way. Even though God says, you know, you're supposed to wipe out all those folks. Because if you don't wipe them out, God says they will pull you into the sins that they were involved with. Yeah, but having them around, we don't have to do all this. this. So we may have to wait to get to heaven to find that out. But that's kind of what I think is they just saw this is an opportunity. These are folks that we can make do what we have. Look, do the work or we're going to follow through what God said and we're going to kill you all. I don't know. Uh, That is, their descendants who were left in land after them, whom the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely. From these Solomon raised forced labor as it is to this day. But of the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced laborers because they were men of war, and his servants, his officers, his captains, commanders of his chariots, and his cavalry. Now we did see that one out of three months they had to go and, uh, and serve in the making of the temple and stuff, but I guess they must have gotten some kind of a wage for that so that they were not considered to be free. But of the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced laborers because they were men of war and servants, as officers, his captains, and so forth. Verse 23, others were chiefs of the officials who were over Solomon's work. So they had to be over top of the Amorites, the Hittites, and so forth and to make sure that they did the work they were supposed to do. Five hundred and fifty who ruled over the people who did the work. But Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Milo. Now, three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar which he had built for the Lord. And he burned incense with them on the altar that was before the Lord, so he finished the temple. King Solomon also built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Gebir, which is near Alath, on the shore of the Red Sea, in the land of Edom. Then Hiram sent his servants with the fleet, seamen who knew the sea, to work the servants of Solomon. So, he raised up a navy. Beside all the other building that he's doing, he built ships to have a navy. I mean, that's expensive. Navy ships are not cheap to, to build. We got uh, awesome navy ships here in and, and ours. I see the advertisements, and they always talk about the, the greatest navy that the world has ever known. Well, if you've ever seen these ships and how many of them we got, I, I don't doubt that. We have more aircraft carriers, I believe, than the rest of the world combined. We got a lot of them. And uh I think that's cool. <laughs> you take one of those aircraft carrier groups and you park it on the outside of somebody's uh, uh ter- territory where they're at that's very intimidating they're very inti- it's a lot of ships that are in there they are they' are something else but uh hmm. you know the, while we we're in Chicago they have a i did not know quite the the midway connection that they had up there, but they They talked about it. We had uh, Chicago Midway. I had no idea why they called it Chicago Midway Airport until we were walking on through, and they had all the Midway displays set up. It's like a Midway museum. And in that, when we were going back, we had some time to, uh, uh, we had extra time, and so we went through the entire thing and all the buttons to listen to all the stuff. So apparently on the the Great Lake that is there, Michigan, they uh, had a couple of makeshift aircraft carriers. They were not aircraft carriers, but they took regular ships, put a big flat area on them, and trained people on these uh, these ships how to, how to land and take off and do different maneuvers from these uh, aircraft carriers. And and a lot of the people that went into the Midway battle were trained here at this this place. And so that's why they had a Chicago Midway Midway connection and why they named that Midway and a whole bunch of, uh, of other stuff is named Midway on all that, but... Um, uh, it was quite an impressive Navy fleet then, and it's even more impressive now. So they built this Navy, and once you have a Navy, then you've got to go out there and do stuff with the Navy. <laughs> so that's what he did. But we, had, we took Hiram, and he sent uh, people over there, because Israel has not had a Navy before. So we got to train up the officers how to run a Navy, how to run a Navy ship, how to do the steering, how to do the things that a Navy has to do. So, they bring the Phoenicians over and they come in and they train them up how to do all this sort of stuff. And so they come on in because, you know, they got a good relationship with them and they are the best at um, maneuvering on the sea. And they went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. Now, no one knows where Ophir is. Apparently, 16 different sites have been proposed, 16 different sites have been proposed as the place that Ophir may have been. That's a lot of places. Um, did, we already, did we already do that one? Yeah, we already looked at that one, so we don't need to there. But if you go over to 1 Kings chapter 10, just the next one over, we're going to get into this again uh, next time, but let's read this about his navy. For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram, once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold and silver. If you looked at the King James, it has uh, they're called the navy of Tarshish. Literally, if you look in the if you look at the New King James, it calls them merchant ships. But if you look at the margin, it says literally, navy of Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was a faraway place, but wherever this place was, Ophir, it was so far away. When the ships went out. It took them three years to come back with the stuff that's a It's not quite the star trek five year mission, <laughs> but it is uh it is pretty close a three year mission to go out there and do this. We don't know how they acquired it though right. we don't know if they went out there and traded stuff to get the gold or if other tactics were used. <laughs> but once every three years the merchant ships came bringing gold and silver, so they would go out and they would come back then they probably get a new fleet of people. Because, you know, you had those folks out there for three years. That's a long time to be deployed. And so maybe another group of, of folks would take over. And they would go, every three years they're going out to this place and they're taking more gold and they're bringing it on back. Either they are taking the gold or they're trading for the gold or whatever it is that they're doing. But they had a navy. Now this uh, navy, these navy ships are eventually uh, lost. But uh, they, they work here for this part of time. So that's a whole lot of building. That Solomon does. Beside the, I mean, 10 major building projects, a mess of smaller building projects. Then he also had the navy. He built a navy, trained up people, put them on it, and sent them out. He married 300 women, acquired 700 others. And this is beside the day to day running of the kingdom. I mean, (laughs) this is something else. Oh, we didn't finish reading. Over three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. I don't know why you're bringing the apes and monkeys all all the time. I I mean, you can only put so many into a zoo. I don't know why we're we're doing the apes and monkeys all the time. I couldn't find anything out on that one. But anyway, all these things Solomon had done. Up to now, it's 20 years. We only had 20 years of his reign. We have 20 more years to go. These are the things that are talked about. In that 20 years, he made all these places, built all these things, has a navy. More than likely, most of this is done in the first 20 years. And the second 20 years is dedicated more to idol worship and the women. Can you imagine accomplishing all that in 20 years? And yet, for all the things we remember for Solomon, we remember him for the temple, and we remember him for the women, and we remember him for the idolatry. We don't remember him for the Navy. We don't remember him for all the other building projects that he did. We don't remember him for the trips bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. We don't remember him for rebuilding the Jerusalem Mall or rebuilding all those cities that were mentioned. We don't remember him for building storage cities, cities for chariots, cities for cavalry. Remembering for all these other things, I put this in your outline for you. Great accomplishments do not cover up great deficiencies. Great accomplishments do not cover up great deficiencies. Too often the enemy tries to distract us into accomplishing a whole lot for God. But God wants us to be right. What impressed God about David was not all the military victories that he did, was not all the accomplishments that David did. What impressed God about David was his heart. And David constantly fed on the word of God, constantly was a worshiper of God, was a humble man before God. That's what impressed him. And of David it said he was a man after his own heart. It is never said of Solomon. Solomon is given the greatest wisdom anyone would ever have. Accomplish more building, probably used that wisdom to build all these different things. Accomplish more with that wisdom and yet God never said anything about that at all. Too often we look at the accomplishments, but God wants to say, What's your heart like? Because the greatest accomplishments you have will not cover up the deficiencies you have. Learn His Word, keep His Word. We go back to the second time that God appeared to Solomon. If you. Will do what my word says: If you will remain true like your father David did, if you will not turn after other idols and worship me solely, these are the things I'm going to do for you. What is more re- more memorable of all the people in the Bible, the most memorable things are the things that God did through people not what they did for God. What does God do through us? Those are the things that are the most memorable, memorable of anything in the Word of God. God's promised Abraham, through you, I will bless all nations. Look at what God did through David. But here we have Solomon and we have a whole list of all the things that Solomon did for God they're not nearly as important they're not nearly as good what is God doing through you those are the things that you'll be remembered for those are the things that will put you on the map so to speak what did God do through Paul the word of God says that God worked uh, unusual miracles through the hand of Paul God worked them. God had given to Paul knowledge and understanding of the new covenant. And we remember him for these things. We look at Jesus. We look at the great works that he did through the power of God. Those are the best things. Those are the things we need to pursue. Because while all these great things that Solomon did. Most of us until we read this chapter, we're only mindful of them. We, for, we, we don't remember. We remember he built the temple, but how many remember the other things he built? We, we don't think about that. We think about the idolatry. We think about the temples he built to other gods. We think about the things that he, he did that he failed at with God. Fill up your life with the Word of God, fill up all those deficiencies. God can use us in great ways, do great things through us. Father, we thank you for the help you give us every day of our lives. Become more and more like you, to have a heart that is after you, to be more like David, not like Solomon. David is the one that we should be like. Abraham is someone that we should be like. The people that you did great things through, they're the people that we need to emulate. The people who just did great things don't hold the same place. Help us, Father, to be drawn to letting you do great things through us and not drawn to doing great things for you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.